Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, and welcome to another special episode of our series, Industry Insiders, where we take a break from talking with independent record labels and instead we talk with people in the music industry um, that on subjects that pertain to independent record labels. And today, by request from some members of our audience, we're talking about college radio. And I have Shil Patel on the show today. Um, and he's from Tiger Bomb Promo. And we get all into the subject of, of college radio and why it still matters for independent record labels and for independent artists and how we can go about pitching our releases to college radio. Before we get into that, I want to talk to you about something extremely exciting. Today, uh, with this episode, we are celebrating three years of the podcast. That's right. This is week is our third birthday. And listen, 109 episodes. That is incredible. Almost a thousand members on our Facebook community and over a hundred thousand downloads of the podcast. My mind is blown. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened, who has joined our Facebook community, who has visited our website, who have sent me emails, which you can do. Uh, you can email me podcast at otherrecordlabels.com. I love hearing from you. People who have shared this with other folks on Twitter, who have included it uh, um, in articles, on websites. It's just been an incredible three years. Um, thank you so much to all the labels and industry folk who have been a part of it. And of course, um, thank you to the the dedicated listeners. I, I, honestly, this is the most fun I've ever had in my career, and um, I'm not stopping by, by any means. So thank you so much. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Um, also, make sure you visit our website um, where we have our resources for independent record labels, like our record label toolkit, which is a free download, and our free guide, which is a, a compilation of advice from the labels that we've had on the show in the past. So please enjoy today's Industry Insider episode where we talk about college radio. And thank you again for listening to the show. Well, let's let's roll into this. I'm excited to talk to you. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I actually had, I had someone, a few people actually email me asking if we could do an episode on college radio, which is great, but it's, it was also kind of surprising, like, because the, the streaming services take up so much of the conversation these days, it's nice to focus on, on traditional radio. And I was just kind of surprised that that was a topic that our audience wanted. I want to ask you, why does college radio matter? Or, or maybe a better question is, how does college radio still matter, even on top of all of the, the ubiquity of, of streaming services? Yeah, that's a question that, you know, I get asked a lot. Mm. And it's also a question I've been doing, involved in college radio in some way since like 2003, 2004. Wow. Um, when I was, when I was first started, like as a DJ at a station and wow. then, you know, throughout the years, like work, working in the industry. So going to, you know, CMJ, which was the old, uh, college radio chart and also a music festival in New York that was geared towards like a lot of, a lot of the people attending the festival were, were from college radio mm. and, and involved in, in, in radio in some way, uh, seeing, going to the panels at CMJ or other conferences. Sure. The conversation was always like, is you know, is radio still relevant? How are we going to adapt uh, moving forward? And you know, is this a dying industry? And you know, I've had so many 
conversations with labels and management yeah. and, and others who, who are like, well, radio doesn't really matter. And, uh, <laughs> and the more that I think about it, I'm like, well, I've now been having this conversation for 18 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, a good point. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and radio hasn't gone away. You know, there yeah. there are a lot of challenges that that I think radio stations have faced, especially campus and college radio stations here in the states. Uh, primarily, you know, just the the idea of a lot of the campuses realizing at some point, oh, there's money tied up in this license that the university owns for the station. We can sell that 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 license the fcc license to to a broadcasting company whether it's like a christian broadcasting company or some other oh i see you know like kind of non-profit and so a lot of a lot of prominent college radio stations and campus radio stations there's a period of time where a lot of them were closing down um because their licenses were getting sold by the university to to some other you know entity oh uh so that was a fear for a while um and something that i think is is legitimate but in general, what I've noticed about radio, and to, this is, I think, to finally answer your question <laughs> about why it's why it's relevant, uh, you know, the 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 term college radio is kind of a blanket term, and it's one that when I have calls with clients and and management and and you know and people maybe who are new to the to the process, uh, I kind of have to explain to them that it's 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 a it's like using the word, you know. Kleenex or something or Xerox, you know, oh, when you're right. talking about it's it's kind of just the the term that's been applied to this group of stations that do primarily consist of campus and college radio uh, stations, but also includes a lot of independent radio, community radio, mm. um, and and these days, you know, online stations, uh, and it's a it's a kind of a broad umbrella and. Uh, that includes, you know, some of those big stations that basically on every campaign people talk to me about when they, they when they we had the first call and they say, well, you know, we really want to get played on KEXP, KCRW, you know, uh, WFUV in, in in New York. Those are the stations that a lot of people are familiar with, and they fall under this umbrella of of college radio, and they have a really good uh, following, you know, they have a strong uh, listener base. KEXP, you know, they have, I think, over a million subscribers on their YouTube channel. Right. Uh, and I think in the past year or so, they went over a billion views on the, on the videos that they produced, like the live, the live videos they produced. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, which is, I, and at some point, I think maybe KEXP might be, in, in some places, better known for their video production than their right. terrestrial yeah. broad, broadcasting, right? <laughs> right. So, oh, I so listen that, to them that, like on Sunday mornings, like over all the way on the other side of the continent. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they have they have such a broad reach. You know, I, I work with uh, you know bands from all over the place. I, I there's a band from Brazil that I work with um, called Bugarins, and they at one point we had a conversation. Like I I promoted a record for them a few years ago. We booked them a KEXP in-studio performance when when they were in Seattle, the next record was coming out and they said, like, we really, really want to get the KEXP session for our next tour. And I said, sure. And uh, and they kind of volunteered. They're like, in Brazil, like, that is how people discovered new wow. music. 
KEXP wow. the live sessions. He's that's like that's the the pitchfork or whatever of, of Brazil when it comes to like discovering new artists. Like that's KEXP crazy is huge there. That's and, insane. Uh, that to get so, this like to to promote themselves in their hometown, they had to go to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> go to Seattle, yeah. So uh, uh, you know that is. Um, you know, obviously that level, that tier of radio station plays a big part in why a lot of people come to us for, for promotion because they want to get that kind of coverage at, at the those top tier stations. Uh, but there's also a big benefit, in my opinion, to a lot of the college stations and kind of in smaller markets, you know, and in, in, uh, in, in smaller universities and like that idea of sending a record out to the the group of contacts that we have at radio, you have the initial benefit of them listening and then playing it on air in hopes that maybe some of their listeners hear it and engage with the record and and maybe, you know, write it down and and say, I'm going to go back and check out more of this artist or like add them to my Spotify playlist or, or that kind of thing or buy a record, go to Bandcamp and buy a record. That that is that's you know not necessarily going to happen you know at, at every single station if if a station plays an artist that I'm working with sure that that level of engagement might not happen but it's it's it is one of the things that could be a benefit right it's like one of the the, the yeah. immediate thing that we're looking for but then beyond that we are sending it to a group of these you know programmers music directors uh, DJs at these stations who are really active. Uh, in their music scene who are online online talking about music all the time um, making playlists for their friends making playlists for their followers right um, and a lot of the a lot of the people that we talk to at these stations they're not just music directors or DJs they're also booking shows at venues right. they're writing for their local weekly alt weekly um, or they, they transition to another role years down the road or something Right, especially a lot of the younger uh, music directors that mm-hmm. I that I work with, they they often go into the music industry and yeah, like you said, they they work at labels, booking agencies. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Know, I I work with so many people um, on a you know day to day or week to week basis who I met through college radio and their role as they were at the time a music director <laughs> and now they run a record label and they hire me to promote their records or, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's one of those intangible things that I I often point to. It's like, if you're going to send your music out to a group of people, this is a really good one to get it out in front of because they are among the most vocal. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. Oh man. So you, you answered about five or six of my questions in your opening monologue here <laughs> so thank you so much but i want to i want to go it was great great talking to you yes thanks uh, a lot uh, <laughs> i, I, I want to go back over them because that actually you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to unpack and um but that is a you've made a lot of great points there let's let's go back to the very beginning for a second here and i can you tell me what you do uh, and a little bit of the origins of, of tiger bomb yeah uh so um, I guess a little bit about myself. I grew up in Texas and um, I went to the University of Texas at Dallas uh, in, for college. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a little bit older. I, 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 my 
my my route in college was a little i took the long path okay you know um, so okay. it took me a little longer to kind of finally focus on school and and, and get and and kind of get my head into the game when it came to like mm. uh, school but so I, I was at ut dallas uh i think it started in 2003 and um got involved with the radio station there uh in its like first few months i think the station was probably I think about six, four or six months old, something like that. Somebody approached me and asked me, you know, like, hey, you should consider being a DJ. And so I, I took them up on it. And that uh, that was really, you know, kind of eye-opening to me because I didn't really know how a radio station worked. And neither did anybody else, really, who was working at the station. We kind of knew that there was these roles that that the University of Texas charter system has in place for radio stations mm-hmm. like you you have a paid position for a program director a general manager um but no one really quite understood what all of that meant so we, everyone was trying to figure this out it was an internet only radio station operating out of a it used to be a ta's office and it was <laughs> just converted into a little studio and um so we we were all learning and, and there's a music director at the time i i was really interested in what he was doing and kind of like basically kind of took his job in a way. I okay. just kind of started started doing what he was doing and reaching out to record labels and um, asking them to send us music. I said, you know, we, we're, we're fledgling internet-only radio station in Dallas, uh, in a suburb of Dallas, but please, you know, send me, um, send me some music. And we slowly started making more and more connections. And uh, Dallas-Fort Worth is a strange place because it's a huge, you know, metropolitan area. But there's not a lot of uh, choice when it comes to independent radio. There, there's a community radio station uh, that was that was relatively popular, but it was um, really eclectic programming. And then there's a station in Fort Worth at, at Texas Christian University. But if you lived in Dallas, you you couldn't get the signal. Like the, the signal kind of oh, dropped okay. off. So there was this kind of void. And so in Dallas, we were this strange kind of entity where we were a new small station. But we were in Dallas, and that was a touring market, and mm. a lot of bands came through. So I think a lot of the labels and promoters were were interested in sending us stuff because we were new, and we also had – we were motivated. We were really active and talked a lot online. At that point, it was like MySpace. Yeah, um, right. Blog, blog, we had a Blogspot account, nice. you know. <laughs> uh, but we ended up, you know, book, getting getting to the point where – where we were able to book interviews with artists and, and things like that who were coming through town because we were one of the only radio options available. And that was really eye-opening again because then I started to realize like how much goes into the process of releasing an album and promoting a tour that I was just wasn't aware of as, as, a, as a casual fan of music before. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. really understand... Um, what goes into promoting all of that and, and started to learn. I, I eventually got the role, uh, the, the, the official position of music director. And um, that's when I really started to kind of piece it together, how, how things worked and how they fit. Uh, and that role as a music director at a college radio station or at a radio station in general, you are the one who is basically all the, all the new music that's coming in is directed to you. And then it's up to you to listen to it and determine whether or not that's something that you want to add into the music library, make right. it available for your DJs. And uh, and you get hit up by 
uh, people from record labels. You get hit up by promoters who have basically my job that I have now. Yeah, um, right. Independent promoters. Uh, and then you get, you get, you know, submissions from artists directly. Uh, so it's really, you're, you're kind of, everything is coming into you and then you're the kind of bottleneck, I guess, in a way that's in the way between the music landing at the desk and then getting into the library. So I was, you know, checking out, uh, listening to new music all the time. We mm. had weekly meetings where it'd be, be me and a couple of other people just sit down and listen to, you know, 20, 30, uh, 40 you know, albums at a time and, and try wow. to determine if we liked it, if we yeah. were going to add it to the rotation or not. Uh, that, that was really fun. And then, but because of that job, I got to go to the CMJ music festival that I mentioned before, I would go to South by Southwest representing the station mm-hmm. and just met so many people in the, in the music industry and talking, you know, about people from labels again, from, you know, publicists, uh, you know, other promoters, uh, people from other radio stations. That was a really valuable experience meeting, meeting people from other stations and, and oh, learning yeah, I how imagine. they do things. So that, that I, I, I was in the role of music director for a year and a half. And then I became station manager, uh, got promoted to station manager. And I took that role on for another year and a half. And that was also interesting because the station manager role was more involved with making sure the station functioned on a day-to-day basis. And then kind of, doing a lot of stuff more locally. Okay. Uh, which included like putting together uh, shows on campus twice, I think twice a year, twice a semester. I think we got a budget for two shows a semester or maybe it was two shows a year. Oh, that's cool. Um, so like talking to bands from the area, trying to book them for the show with a very yeah. limited budget. Right. Uh, so that was a fun kind of challenge to, to do. And I'd never booked shows before. I didn't know how that worked. And so um that was a that was a really good learning experience uh, for me to kind of figure out how that how that works and how you promote a show, mm-hmm. especially a show on a campus again in like a suburban right. you know part of Dallas uh, is really really interesting. Um, so as I was like finishing up school, I uh, was uh, at that point just a DJ. Uh, I, I didn't have enough credit hours left uh to to have official role at the station you had to, you, you had to add like i think take 12 oh, credit hours a semester oh that's yeah. a okay. position <laughs> so i was just i was just a dj in that la- that last like few months and uh went to cmj one one last time because our station got nominated for uh, a cmj college radio award and oh, I, no I really way. wanted to go up there in, in, in case we won <laughs> uh, and the award the award was the award was like best internet radio station or best internet presence oh, and we nice. got beat by kexp how, <laughs> how are we going to compete with kexp sure. but uh but it was still fun and and when i was up there uh there was a promoter from a, another from a company who was leaving um her job uh to move back she was british and was moving back to london and was basically you know said like i think you should apply for that job i think you'd be great at it and so i considered it and then you know, a month later, I was driving out to Athens, Georgia, um, for that job. So, wow. uh, yeah, and that was that was a role at a at a company that did PR or that does PR and, and radio promotion. And I took a role of as you know, radio promoter because it was kind of the the analogous job of like the music director at a station. You know, it's kind of you're on the other side of the phone, basically. Right. Um, and that was in 2007. 
so I started there in 2007, and um, within a couple of years, I ended up becoming like the head of the the promotion department. So I was in charge of coordinating the schedule, and and I did a lot of the booking, like bringing on new artists onto the roster that we would promote. Okay. And, um, and I, you know, over the over that course of time, you know, put together a lot of uh, events like at South by Southwest and CNJ. I was I was booking a lot of the the showcases there. And that must have been really helpful. Your sorry, your that must have been really helpful. Your previous experience as a music director and a station manager, and now you're pitching to those people. I mean, you re, you must have just really uh, had a better idea how to communicate to them. Yeah, and it's it just that having that barrier eliminated where it was we'd met in person and we had, you know, had, you know, like conversations about things that weren't music related. Sure. You know, like I, I started to get to know a lot of people, you know, just as friends. And um there's always that that line, that fine line in the music industry between people who are friends and people who are yeah work, you know, yeah. associates, professional associates. And there's like there's a big, there's obviously a lot of blurring of those lines, but I think, you know, I, I had the kind of personality that I think like I, when I, when we were hanging out at South by Southwest, we were having a fun time. And like, I think that was like, we, you know, I, I was able to kind of like let people know, like my energy was, you know, positive and, and I just wanted to like see good music and share good music and talk about that with mm. other people. And that was really my only motivation because it wasn't to make a lot of money that, that was for sure. So, um, <laughs> so was the promo company you know, Tiger Bomb, or how did that evolve? No, uh, so so I worked at that company. It was it's called Team Claremont, um, and I worked there until 2016. Uh, so almost ten years. I was a little wow. shy of ten years. Wow. Uh, and while I was there, um, you know, like I said, you know, ended up just learning, you know, taking on so many different roles. Uh, and near the end of 2016, the there was, I don't, I don't know how much I should get into it, but there was basically a, an event that happened where, where the, the owners of the company, one of the owners of the company did something that made me and the rest of the staff pretty uncomfortable. And, um, okay. and I ended up, I ended up leaving the company and, and so did the other people that were, that were working there at the time. And, uh, during that process, I was like, what do I, what do I do next? And, the only thing I really know how to do is this at this point, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so my, uh, my focus kind of turned towards, well, let me start my own company and do things the way that I want to do them. Uh, meaning from top down, you know, what the, the, the aesthetics of the company, uh, you could be in control of that. The artists that we work with, um, just how we present ourselves, um, down to little things like what what you know software do I want to use and what how do I want to keep track of things kind of the details of running you know radio promotion sure. campaigns yeah so that was a September September thirtieth twenty sixteen I launched Tiger Bomb um, with an initial you know artist roster of artists and uh, grew from there wow and I was just looking yes yesterday just out of curiosity and we're close to i think uh 400 uh or 500 i think i think it's 500 uh different artists and in you know campaigns that we've run over the over the course of the you know four and a half 
or so. That's years incredible. That we've been in company. So. so when in when a label, let me ask you about um, when a label uh, or uh, you know like a self managed artist is is working their album and getting ready to promote their album. Uh, a lot of them are are debating whether they can afford to hire a publicist. Uh, how does it, uh, you know, what's the thought process between hiring a publicist and then hiring what you do? Uh, are they completely separate? Do, do, do publicists overlap into your territory or vice versa? There is overlap uh, when it comes to, so the, the, the overlap comes in places like, say, for example, NPRs, All Songs Considered. Sure. Or uh, a sh- a show a show on KCRW like Morning Becomes Eclectic, for example. Yes, right. Uh, there are these kind of the, the things that cross over. I think are, are what what are considered shows that are considered to have editorial content. Okay. A lot of times, the publicists will want to want to kind of be in in charge of pitching things where there is a little bit more of a yeah editorial aspect to it. I see. So. If an artist that we're working with has a publicist on board, a lot of times the first one of the first conversations I have with that publicist is like, "Are you pitching Bob Boylan and Robin Hilton at right. NPR? Are you?" If if there was a tour happening, you know, I would say like, "Are you reaching out to Morning Becomes Eclectic or this show?" Or you know, that that dialogue is important to have. And most of the time, when I work with a publicist. Uh, we have, you know, I, I know so many publicists from over the years, so we have this kind of like understanding that let's 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 kind of figure out the parameters of of how this is going to work from the outset, so that we're not stepping on each other's toes. Interesting, yeah. Uh, but in general, that's kind of where the the crossover. There there are a lot of publicists that that have radio stations on their contact list, but. I don't know if any of them are doing like a, a proper radio campaign, right? Like we would. no, yeah. So I think sure. I think I think what, for the most part, what we're what we're adding to it is structuring it and doing it in the way that like radio stations expect to receive new music. I see. Um, yeah, and and the publicists publicists might just like have them on their their email list, and they get the stations get press releases as those are coming out, but they might not give the stations any specific instructions on like, here's the ad data radio or here's the and from what, FCC information. Right. And from what I remember, yeah. like there's like these kind of anal requirements that they, re- you know, they request, like I-, I know our local station, they don't want singles. And when you send them an album, you send them the MP3s and they're tagged and they want the track list typed up for you and all this stuff just to make their ingestion process easier. Yeah. And the, you know, that's much more important now than, than ever because I uh, one thing that we're doing currently and probably I don't know when this is going to air but probably by the time it airs we'll have announced that we're moving towards doing everything digitally um, mm. I've, I, you know, it's been a long long time coming and the last year through working on records through the pandemic um, made me realize we just need to do things we need to rethink the way we do a lot of things but right the, and the first one I think is this idea of having to mail out hundreds of CDs on, on every campaign just right. uh, didn't, didn't make sense anymore. But, um, well, and is it, but yeah, go, go ahead. I was just gonna say, going back to that, that question about the, you know, hiring a publicist versus and, or hiring a radio promoter. What we often do is, you know, 
so connected to what a publicist is doing because we, for the radio side of things, I'm looking at the timeline that I get from a label or from management or from an artist. And that's going to include when the album is announced, when the scene now, nowadays I also get a clear map of when singles are going to be released. That, that used to not really be available on every campaign, but now I think because of making sure that you're getting everything up on DSPs. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows, everybody knows which singles are going to go up on which dates. So I have, I have all that, that whole timeline laid out in front of me. And so much of that is, is kind of set up with the publicist I see. first. And then we come in and say, okay, yeah, I like everything that I see here. Here's how we're going to integrate the radio campaign into this timeline you already have ex- that exists mm. uh, and, and move forward from there. And when, you, I think if you look at our social media, you'll see like we share press all the time. So we really rely on, 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 you know, I think having that, those things to share with stations that we work with to, to give the artists sure. that we work with some sense of credibility and, and, and to give them more to work with. I want to ask you about pitching uh, and uh, you've talked about moving to digital. Uh, I think the fear with digital is that it's so much easier, easier to get lost and it, and it, um, the barrier for entry is gone for everyone. Um, it, whereas I would assume, even though it's far more costly, I would assume that sending a 12 inch record to a radio station would have a greater chance of getting heard or, or, or looked at versus an email. Is, is there any truth to that? Um, there, there, there have been people that I've worked with over the years who've wanted to just send out 200, you know, uh, final copies right. of their album right. to, to stations. I've talked them out of it because it's, it's a very expensive, Oh, sure. You know, process uh and i think that what i what i what i want to what i want to take away from this past year especially and and what i started when i when i started tiger bomb what i started to try to do is make sure that we're not just throwing things at the wall yeah and seeing what what sticks that that the amount of waste that goes into doing things like that i think um it just it doesn't it doesn't do anybody any good and i think it can feel soothing to say, okay, well, we sent out 200 copies on vinyl and you kind of daydream that DJs are ripping it open and they're, you know, putting it on these like actually functioning turntables in college radio stations. When in reality, I think a lot of the DJs that we're, you know, that are, that are going to have, would have access to that record don't have the time to go to the vinyl shelf. They're putting their playlist together you know, sometimes on Bandcamp and YouTube, right? Uh, and plugging their laptop into the board and playing it from that, you know. Uh, and I've, you know, I've talked to so many stations who say like, "Oh yeah, our turntables don't work." You know, <laughs> somebody stole the cart. Somebody, somebody stole the, the yeah. cartridge. You know, like three months ago, and we right. haven't replaced it. Like, right. So the 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 vinyl when we do send out vinyl to stations, it's kind of like a thank you gift or, or a kind of, you know, okay. what, what you yeah. mentioned, what you mentioned also is like a boost to maybe give it a little bit more of a boost where somebody does see it sitting on their desk and they're like, Oh, I need to check this out. And I don't expect them to actually open the vinyl and, but they'll check the out the MP3 you way. sent earlier. <laughs> yeah. They I might see. Check out the SoundCloud link. Or I whatever. see. So, okay. Oh, that makes sense. When you pitch to radio, do you target, 
stations based on the genre of the artist you're working with? Is it pretty specific? Yeah. So there is, there's kind of with, with what we do. And I think it, in general, it's kind of how a lot of you know, PR is done as well. There is the passive pitch that we have, the passive approach. Okay. And then we have the direct kind of targeted approach. So the direct approach is us, like you said, individually contacting a station, knowing what that station tends to like and program. And sometimes it comes down, it comes down to the music director themselves and their taste. And then sometimes it's actually looking at the station overall and seeing that, okay, the, the station plays much more Americana and roots music. So I'm not going to pitch them so hard on this like electronic record that I'm right. working. Yeah. Um, or just knowing a DJ, like, you know, this DJ really likes jangly guitars and this record is full of jangly guitar. I'm going to send it their way, you know? So like that, that definitely happens. And we try to, I try to make those pitches as, as personalized as I can, or try to let people know. Sometimes I'm even sending something to, to a music director with trying to be as transparent as possible, telling them, I don't, I don't know if this is something that you'll necessarily like, but I think you should listen to it because I see the station's chart or your playlist, and I think this would fit within that. Mm. So I might know a, a music director's personal taste doesn't line up with this, but the rest of their station does. And I think a good music director knows that too, that, that their taste doesn't necessarily have to be the way the station sounds. You know, um, that actually got me thinking about a question that I've seen in our community and our Facebook group amongst other labels. When we're talking about publicists and whether or not we should hire a publicist, there's this fear that if that if we if we reach out to a publicist and we're willing to pay two thousand or a thousand or five thousand dollars, that any publicist is gonna say yes and take us on, even if they deep down know there's no hope of this record succeeding. And I'm kind of curious, like how how do you overcome that? I mean, how do you in your business say, you know, we want to attract clients, we want to work with artists. Music is so subjective, so there could be people who will love this this track or this record. But at the same time, it's better for your company to be to have these artists be successful under you. How do you balance that? And how do you know uh do you go back to an artist and say, sorry, the DJs we work with are not gonna like this? We're not gonna represent this record. You know, like how how do you work within that? Yeah, we, we I do end up passing on a lot of records in the course of a year, you know, and mm. it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. That's good to hear, I though. Know, yeah, I, I know how much, you know, work and how much love goes into a lot of the music that I pass on. And <laughs> it's really difficult to tell somebody, hey, you know, I don't think that this is going to be a good fit. And and typically what I let what I try to let them know is that it's not because you've made a terrible record. It's because the type the types of radio stations that I work with might not play something that sounds like this because it could be more effective at a country radio station or you know or uh, adult contemporary. Like there there are times where I hear something I'm like that's good but like college radio probably not going to play this. I see. Um, there are also times I hear something that's good, but it's 
it's one, you know, it could be like one track and it's 49 minutes long <laughs> and it's Tuvin, Tuvin throat singing. And you're like, this is cool, you know, but how effective is my radio campaign going to be? Yeah. You, know, you might pick up WFMU and a couple of other stations, <laughs> you know, like, is, is that, is that going to be worth spending, spending the money on it? So I, I try to listen to things when, when somebody, especially when we get a submission, just like from somebody comes to the website or uh, finds like an article, there's, there's like a KEXP article about doing radio promotion that a lot of people read. And then we're listed as one of the companies that KEXP recommends. Oh, uh, if I you're going to hire somebody. So, so I like, so for example, like if somebody comes to us from that article and I listen to their music, um, I try to listen to it from the perspective of me sitting at the desk at a station as a music, like a, in my role as a right, music director. Right, which you were. Yeah, tra- that's smart. Yeah. And trying to think about my DJs and what they would go for. So, you know, I think that putting myself in that position instead of a person that runs a company that needs to pay rent. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, that that shouldn't be the consideration when we're adding stuff to our roster. It should be, will my will will our efforts for doing radio promotion for this artist get them played at stations will it get stations engaged in in this record Mm -hmm. and that's how i have to approach it and i think that's one of the reasons why i've been able to keep doing this for so long without feeling like a total fraud (laughs) um you know i i try to try to make sure that we are taking on things that we that i feel have merit and I also, and on the flip side of that, when I promote something to a station, I don't want to misrepresent that artist and I don't want to present it in a way that makes me seem disingenuous. Mm. So, you know, I, I, when I was a music director, I remember getting calls, emails from people saying every week they were like, this is my favorite album of the year. This is the best song of the year. <laughs> and after a while, like, that that pitch doesn't work anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like, okay, could you could you just be honest with me and tell yeah. me why why I should play this? Why you think I should play it? And if it is your favorite album of the year, that's great. But right. you know, maybe I maybe if that was the case, I might hear that once a year, twice sure. a year, <laughs> yeah. not every week. You know? yeah. <laughs> not in the so, first week of January. Yeah. So myself and Tori uh, Tori Bennis works uh, alongside me at Tiger Bomb as well, like the other full time person, and we both have the same. I think we both come from the same place where we want to make sure that we are being genuine with how we approach it. And Tori will be, you know, she's a huge Sufjan Stevens fan. And when we promote the Sufjan Stevens record, she lets people know, like, I love this record. You know, like she's, <laughs> she's shouting it from the rooftops. Yeah. And that's, that's great. great. That's, that's awesome. Cause it's, it's completely genuine. Um, and that's how it should be, I think. Yeah. Uh, so you had mentioned when we, when we were first talking about other forms of radio outside of, of college radio, uh, and that's what I was kind of curious with. So I gl- I'm glad you went there. Uh, like, what is um, what else is under that umbrella? I know that we have a um, an indie station here in Toronto, Indie 88, and I, I kind of I wondered if mm-hmm. that fell under that same umbrella, or even you had talked about internet radio. I I don't know anything about internet only radio um, or, or satellite radio. Can you uh, um, explain if that plays a role at all? Yeah, those are all, you know, um, different, different. Well, I guess what we would call different formats, but uh, 
there's so many different types of stations that we deal with. Uh, and one thing that, that, you know, we, we try to let people know is that like no two stations that we work with really operate in the same way. They're all, for the most part, they all play by their own rules and they all kind of have their own programming philosophies and, um, and just structure internally. And like, sometimes even the, the roles aren't the same, you know, like the music director at one station might have the same role as the program director at another. Oh, station. I see. So okay. That's interesting. something that's something to keep in mind. It's like, there's no uniformity or, or, or uh, standardization there, but with, yeah. So a station like Indy 88 uh, or, or that type of station, like they kind of fall under the category that I was mentioning earlier of that station, that type of station that, isn't necessarily a campus radio station or a college radio station, but it's really good. Their their playlists line up with the types of artists that we work with. They're open to receiving new music and submissions from labels and pub- publicists and promoters. So they're the type of station that would make sense for us to reach out to and send music to because they have you know a, they have a, a fan base and they also have a process that's open to 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 allowing independent promoters and artists and labels mm. to get their music heard. Right. Um, the same with like a serious uh, XM. So we uh, send to a couple of different channels on Sirius that, that, that are relevant for most of the types of artists that we work with. There's XMU, which is kind of the more, I guess if you were to, Think of it as like a college radio channel okay. on Sirius yeah. XM. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's a channel called the Loft, which used to have like its own dedicated number on the dial, and I think now the Loft is available uh, online and through the Sirius app. Uh, those are two of the main outlets that play a lot of the artists that we work with. Uh, but then there's a lot of other ones that that kind of have a, a maybe a more genre specific uh, sound that we can pitch to. Mm. But, uh, but in general, you know, the, the types of campaigns that we run, there's, there's kind of three different types that, that for the most part are, are what we do. The, the, what I mentioned earlier, the college radio campaign or the, the, uh, I guess we we call it college radio, but again, it's kind of like a blanket term. It's like NACC is the North okay. American college and community radio chart. Uh, they took the place of CMJ in, in most people's minds uh, when CMJ went under um, at the end of 2016, early 2017. NACC kind of took that role of assembling a weekly radio chart hmm. that basically compiles the charts from individual charts from stations that are in that world of college, non-commercial campus uh, community radio. And their, their panel is pretty wide in that it includes Sirius XM, even though Sirius XM is for all purposes, you know, like more, more along the lines of a commercial station, right. especially the, the fact that you had to subscribe to it, you know, so True. it's, it's, uh, it includes Sirius, it includes, KEXP and KCRW and and those those bigger uh, stations, and then it includes stations that are you know down to um, you know small markets uh, in smaller uh, you know communities or stations that operate kind of solely online. <clears throat> uh, so their their panel of stations is pretty broad, uh, and 
that that's the main type of campaign that that I have been running for years since I started doing radio promotion. And it's kind of like the the base of a lot of what we do is that type of promotion because those stations are open to playing a lot of newer artists, independently released music. They are, uh, for the most part, I would say kind of more open-minded and willing to give, give new stuff a shot. Then, then you kind of get up to the, the, the other types of campaigns that we do that, we and more so working on running in the now and, and in the future, uh, starting to get a little bit more steam behind doing these what we call non-com uh, campaigns. Okay. So non-commercial non-commercial radio is a, is a format that consists mostly of those like uh, NPR, public radio, uh, and community, and independent radio stations. Not all of them are student run, but there are some that are that are student run. But for the most part, they're going to be ones that have. Uh, Stations that kind of the ones that in the in the U.S., for example, have like a listener base that that supports the station. So they might be lis- listener funded or member funded, uh, and they are generally a little bit more selective when it comes to which artists they're going to play. Uh, they they tend to be a little bit pickier uh, when it comes to adding new music, and then also they. Uh, are not as they're not as like mainstream or commercial as a lot of the the you know like iHeart radio stations. Right. So they're they're this kind of really interesting um, kind of like middle ground, and they're really I think have changed the the format of the in the in the playlist at Noncom Radio. I th- I think have changed a lot over the years. I think it used to kind of be synonymous with Americana music for a while, and that has really shifted over the past few years where you start to see a lot of artists that do well at college radio are now doing, are now successful on the, uh, on the non-commercial chart. And Interesting. Is, uh, I think for a few different reasons, I think, you know, a lot of those artists and labels have grown and are pushing harder at that format of radio. Right. But also I think the programmers are kind of opening up a little bit with the, the, their their philosophy and a lot of the programmers are younger as well and and that's that's having an influence on the on that chart if if labels are are paying for someone to plug one of their artists at college radio if this is something they invest in how and we touched on this a little bit um how can they measure their roi for lack of a better term how how can a label know if if their investment is is worthwhile in hiring someone to pitch to college radio or even them themselves carving out a week to build a, a college radio campaign. How do you measure that and say that was successful, that was worth our investment or our time? That's a really good question. And one that uh one that I often try to like c- concisely answer for people <laughs> because it's there's no real metric uh, there are there are so there are metrics right we can look at airplay yeah you know, we can you can actually see the number of spins that something gets um, you can look at a chart position you know on NACC mm. you can you can look at their the, the the like just today I posted something on Instagram about how some of the records that we're promoting are doing on that NACC chart it's a nice reference point and a milestone to give somebody but 
being number one on the NACC chart doesn't necessarily translate to X amount of sales or streams or YouTube views or ticket sales. Sure. It has to, I think, when you look at radio and what you're getting out of it, you have to kind of think about, it's not an easy answer, but it's 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 more of a complete picture that you're trying to get uh, your head wrapped around. So it, it does have to do with the airplay. And I think the chart positions do help kind of convey that in an easy, quick to quick reference point, you know, to say like, we're number nine on the NACC top 200 chart. Yeah, week. right. I think it at least gives you an idea of like relative to other releases, how it's doing. Um, then you also have to look at the actual like engagement that you're getting from stations. I think a lot of times when we're promoting a record that I feel is, is, is successful, I'm, he- I'm getting requests from stations for interviews. I'm seeing that they're doing track of the day or song of the day. They want to feature things on their podcasts. Okay. Um, okay. It's doing well on the chart. Uh, when the band goes on tour, I get guest list requests, interview requests. Those sorts of things, I think, really, in my opinion, help me figure out if something is is the the difference between something getting you know doing well on paper versus doing well in a way that actually makes sense for an artist and that translates to the artist mm. because radio is such a such a kind of nebulous thing and. A lot of people that I work with, even labels that I've worked with for years, don't quite, I think, understand sometimes what I'm talking about when I talk about some of these chart positions and things like that. I think they kind of nod their head and say, okay, cool. Thanks, Jill. Thanks for the update. <laughs> um, you know? yeah. uh, and that's definitely happened before you know, on, on conference calls where you know, I'm part of like a team of people on a conference call. The section about where we talk about the radio promotion might last for 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> Where they say Shill's handling radio, and then I say, "Yeah, I'm handling radio." And then they're like, okay, great. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for the update. So, the difference is when an artist goes on tour, for example, and they come, you know, they come back, or they, they, I, if I talk to them, they say, like, "Hey, you know, I was in North Carolina, and a few people came up to me after the show and said we heard you on WKNC, and that's why we came out to the show. We didn't know the show was happening, but they they played a song, they talked about your show at." you know, the cast cradle that night. And then we came. And oh, that's you. cool. Yeah. And so that, that kind of um, engagement and interaction, it's so direct and immediate and it has like a, an impact for the artist right away. And I think the, the, the best feeling for me is when somebody texts or emails or calls and says, Hey, we were, we're on tour. We're driving through, you know, Chicago and we heard our song on the air. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I like great. what, yeah. talk to me a little bit more about that, the X factor about, you know, having the importance of having a program director or a DJ uh, be into the artist and be, you know, that's, I mean, I never thought of that. That's a really interesting component. There must be some other X factors like that, that are beneficial for the label and the artist. You mean in the sense of just like having them kind of engage with Yeah, the, yeah, like what band. you were what yeah. you had mentioned at the very beginning. I had never thought of that. I would have only thought of charting alone um or like you said somebody listening to the song, shazamming it and and then going to add it to their library. But um it is interesting to have, you know, to potentially earn fans who are at the radio station that they can do more for you. Yeah, and I think that 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 is a big part of 
why a lot of artists these days have, have become so successful at that format of like, especially like the non-commercial um, radio format. You see a lot of artists form these relationships with stations um, that really like excite the, 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 the programmers and the DJs at those stations. Mm-hmm. And they really get a kick out of like having this artist kind of be one of their like friends. Right. And, and kind of coming in and doing special performances or, um, you know, just maybe playing like a music festival or a conference or something like that, that they host. Uh, and sometimes it might be like a local artist or a, an artist from a, a city teaming up with their local station. But sometimes you see those relationships form even outside of that, where, where a band just has a good relationship with a specific DJ and that DJ hosts a show where they say like, come on, come on my show next time you're in Philadelphia and I'll, 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 set you up with an in-studio performance and oh, that's cool and then that yeah. and then that goes up on you know that that performance then ends up going up on npr on on the npr live sessions and then now you're now you're up on a national platform you know uh, yeah no i guess it, i so, guess it's true yeah it's just building relationships very same as we do at record labels or in any in any business you know and I th- yeah i think some of the more successful um artists are good at that like it, it it's not for every artist i think there's a lot of people who don't necessarily want to engage on that level with with stations or with you know okay. even a journalist yeah. or whatever yeah, that's but fair. i do think that that when when an when an artist is open to that it, it can make a big difference because you can see that those stations genuinely get excited about about having someone you know who, who's thrilled by radio yeah you know, there's yeah I was thinking about it the other day. There's so many songs about the radio, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I often think like when, when someone's like recording a song about the radio, if they're thinking about like, Oh, she going to like this one. This is going to be, you know, like, yeah, this is a slam. This is a slam dunk. You, know? <laughs> you get a discount from Tiger Bomb. That's funny because yeah. people are, are, are writing songs about the radio and hoping that it gets on a Spotify playlist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so strange. What uh, when we talk about um, uh, the benefits? Uh, are is there um, is college radio? Um, do they have the same requirements with the performing rights organizations that commercial radio does, or do they get exempt from that or a discount? How does that work? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if there's a discount. Um, there, there might be a. a like a different rate for um, college radio and nonprofit radio stations, mm-hmm. but not not for profit radio. But uh, no, they 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 are the, the terrestrial radio stations here have have to meet those requirements for um, tracking airplay and, and uh, paying the. I think you most stations have like a, a some some sort of subscription to BMI or, or right. organization like that. Um, and I know BMI does audits of stations as well. And a lot of the online stations uh, are tracked through Sound Exchange and Sound Exchange oh, tracks okay. down royalty, right. royalty yep. payments. Yep. For I think online and satellite radio. Right. Uh, okay. That's no. another thing we talked about earlier. Just one 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 thing to touch on. You know, like doing more digital promotion, digital only promotion, and not sending out CDs. You know, we're trying to make sure that all of the metadata is present. So that's one thing like to spend more time on these days is 
tracking down UPCs and ISRC codes and stuff like that from, from our clients to make sure all of that's present so that when a station receives that, there's not a barrier to, to making sure that it's tracked properly. Right. And I, and I suppose you can get the songwriter information in there too. Yeah, we try to try to include as much of that as possible. That's Song a good writer, point. Publishing, yeah, pu- publishing all of that. Yeah, that's great. So I want to ask you, and and feel free to um, dance around this answer a little bit, um, because I, I'm trying to ask you delicately. But I know that our listeners who are record labels uh, of all so- sizes, but a lot of them are are working under very extreme, um, extremely modest budgets. So, and I know that they would want me to ask you what the price range that a label might be looking at when it comes to do comes to doing a, a radio campaign. And, and again, feel free to give me just the broadest ballpark. I, I, I imagine it, it, it varies across the board, but for us who are, who are considering it, if we hit a certain level and, or we have a record we're really excited about, um, what should we be building into the, to the budget? So, you know, there's, there's my, there's Tiger Bomb and there's a bunch of other radio promotion companies. There's several others that, um, you know, that do a really good job. I'm, I'm not, I definitely don't try to claim that we're the only ones out there and you're the only ones you should hire. Cause I think <laughs> there's some of our, some of our colleagues who do fantastic work, who have a really great roster and who have really awesome promoters. And, uh, we often work alongside them too. That's another thing. Like sometimes labels or, or artists have a budget that's big enough where they can hire two, two radio promotion companies. Wow. To work side by side, basically, we're doing the same exact thing. We're pitching the same record wow. to the same stations, but they just want two voices uh, behind <laughs> it. It's not not something you can necessarily do with PR or anything else, really. But with radio, we can kind of team up and say, like, okay, if we're both talking about this, then we can get a lot of stations to Interesting. finally, just, you know, it might tip them over the edge and say, fine, we'll we'll put this into rotation if both of you are, are asking about it. With that said, there, you know, I think that if you were going in to do a college radio campaign, you could expect to pay anywhere between, you know, I don't know the the low end of the rates for a lot of companies, but like I know from like my my kind of experience and seeing some some of the the rates that are out there, you know, anywhere from I think on the low side, maybe like a thousand dollars for about a month's worth of PR or mm-hmm. radio promotion. Mm-hmm. Sorry, thousand dollars on the on the kind of like lower end, and then it can go up depending on the length of the campaign okay, and also which, which formats of radio you're promoting to. Like if you're doing, if you want to do that non non-commercial AAA radio campaign right. that I was mentioning right. earlier, a lot of times that's singles oriented. So you're pitching one song and sometimes that can be $2,000 to pitch one song. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, so it sounds very much so, in the same price range as publicists, like between one and five thousand dollars. Like that's what kind of what I've heard from publicists as well. Yeah, it's I, I would think in general radio costs, radio promotion costs is a little cheaper than PR. Right. Sure. Uh, but yeah, you're gonna you're gonna probably end up paying I would guess anywhere between a thousand up to three thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. Um, that's interesting. That's good to know. Yeah. What do you um what do you recommend? And I'm not going to keep you much longer, but what do, what do you recommend? Well, actually, sorry, going back to that price thing for a second, and I want to get your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, when One of the things is, is if you're an independent artist um, or if you're a label, but especially for independent artists, we're getting spammed all the time with 
these fly-by-night companies who are potentially predatorial um, in saying, you know, we'll get your song in front of uh, X amount of radio stations across the globe. I mean, there's got to be a lot of services out there that maybe charge you 250 bucks or 500 bucks that are are pretty dangerous. And I was talking with, um, a couple of days ago, I was talking with John um, from Comedy Minus One, and who spoke really highly of you, by the way, but um, oh. John Solomon. And I, and I was... Um, um, oh, John, okay, yeah. Yeah, sorry. And I and I was anyway, I was asking him about this because he was saying at, at his radio station oftentimes there might be a uh a envelope that comes in with like 20 or 30 CDs all stuffed in it from the same promoter. So, like can you speak at all to some of these services that are out there that uh, they just seem pretty sketchy from from my point of view. Yeah, I you know there's there's a couple things that I warn people about when when they come to me and you know like for example like I'm in Athens, Georgia. There's a lot of bands here and a lot of friends of mine who are looking into starting this process and whether it's PR, management, labels, there are a lot of people who are going to try to take advantage of artists and um and there yeah, there's a lot of predatory kind of like um you know organization companies out there. And what I always try to you know, let the artists that I, that I know, uh, or that I work with or that I'm friends with know is that one, you know, don't, don't jump into making a decision without talking about it with some other people, right? Like just in this town alone, you know, there's, there's me and there's other record labels. There's, there's people who run, you know, a vinyl pressing plant and sure. a recording studio. And, you know, there's a lot of resources just in this town to say like, you know, if you get approached by a manager or if you get approached by a company that says, we can get you, we can guarantee, <laughs> especially when it comes to guarantee, if any, yeah. at, at the point where somebody guarantee, guarantees something, that's when I say, like, just, Good point. just delete that email, right? <laughs> Good point, yeah. But if somebody, you know, if somebody approaches you with something and it seems, you know, it seems, even if it seems reasonable or, you know, or if it's too good to be true, you can always just email me and say, "Hey, Shill, do you know this company? Are you familiar with this organization?" Oh, nice. And nice. you know, I I can tell I can tell you like, "Oh, yeah, they're cool. I like them. I work with them." I, sure. You know, or I could say like, "I don't really know who they are, and you might want to be careful." You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of the best things that I, you know, I, I think one of the, the the if I was an artist and I was trying to hire a publicist or a radio promotion company or something like that, the first thing I would do is just see you know, go to their site, go to, you know, get on social media, see who they work with and what they're making happen for their artists. Yeah, that's great. For, and for, for, for PR especially, right? You can just go, you can go to the publicist's Twitter feed or Facebook page or Instagram, see who they're working with and see what kind of coverage they're getting for their artists. Are you familiar with the publications that are covering their artists? That's a great Are point. they the ones that you like and read? And if so, chances are they're probably going to be a pretty legitimate company and you, you, you know, you'd be well served by them if they're working with a, a lot of artists that you don't, you've never heard of, and the and the coverage they're getting are from publications you've never heard of. Is it going to be worth your while? Is that really what you want? You know, um, well, uh, that's great with, advice. With radio, yeah, you know. that's great advice. And I and I when I was looking at your website, I was thinking, wow, these are artists that sound like my artists, or they, you know, and and I and I think probably the the same advice would go for hiring a, a radio promoter would be to find whoever your favorite artist is or or an artist that you uh want to model your career after and, and find out who they work with um 
because you know likely speak the same language yeah and like on our website you know i have all of the artists that we've all the campaigns that we've done are are on the website and you can also see a list of all the artists and labels we've worked with and you know like there's nothing stopping anybody from reaching out to a label and saying like, Hey, did you work with Tiger Mom? What was your experience? Or yeah. reaching out to an artist yeah. and saying, did you work with them? What, what was it like? And, you know, vetting it that way too. Um, you know, I, I would be happy if the people that approached me did that before they approached me. I think that would be great because I think that would help make that decision easier for them as well. That's a great point. Um, I think that, when I first asked this question, I said the the word predatorial, which I just Googled while you were talking, and that's not a word, um, <laughs> which is like a combination it's a com- of com- predator and editorial. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it is. There, well, you know, there are definitely some, some predatorial people out there. Yeah. Is there a DIY option for, like, let's assume that our, our listeners can afford you in a couple of years from now. What can they do um, for their first couple of releases to approach college radio from a, a DIY perspective? Uh, there is a DIY option that we were offering uh, that was a little bit more reliant on sending out physical CDs, you know, to, to radio. So basically, I would provide a mailing list and some instructions on when to time things, how to mail stuff out, down to the details of like take the cellophane off the CD. All right, the <laughs> I've sticker, heard of that. <laughs> put the sticker directly on the case, then ship it. Like, so we tried. I tried to make sure that we were giving people the the process that I would go through if I was sending something out to radio. Now that I'm moving away from doing things, you know, moving towards doing things digitally, we have to rethink how, if we're going to be able to offer DIY campaigns and, and how that's going to look. But for, you know, for artists who are, who approach me and say like, Hey, I can't really afford you yet. What can you, what can you recommend? I, I usually tell them like you know start with kind of a concentric circles kind of plan where like you're in Portland, Oregon, reach out to the Portland stations, you know get their feedback, see if any of them will play it. If a few of them bite and they start playing it, then you can reach out to the stations in Seattle and San Francisco and say like, hey, we're getting played on these stations in Portland. Uh, we want to send you our record, see what you think about it. Yeah. And, you know, that's one approach where I think um, and and looking at, you know, looking at organizations that, um, you know, also offer resources. There's a lot of local resources in different communities where they, they actually offer assistance for musicians or artists, you know, to kind of help them. Because, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, you are your own business. Right. And I think there's a lot of and just here in Athens, we're working on a on a guide for uh artists to make sure that they're compensated properly right the the whole Mm. point of the guide is you're an artist get compensated for your work properly here are some things that can help you with that whether it's knowing your you know just knowing what to expect for selling visual art or knowing what you should get paid when you play a show sure or collecting bmi performance royalties yeah yeah so there, there are some local, I think, organizations depending on when you, where you live that can help you with that kind of stuff. But I think there's also lists, you know, that are available out there of stations that, you know, accept new music. And 
or have a kind of a more open exception uh, uh, submission policy. Cool. Read the submission policies on the sites. Make sure you're following the way that they they want to get music <laughs> right. heard. Um, and then stay organized. You know, I think one of the things that uh, is such a simple thing that that I do, and it's one of the things that I think uh, I you know, you take for granted is just staying organized, keeping track of who you reach out to, when you reached out to them, and and having some system in place of following up with them. If you haven't heard back, say, for example, you haven't heard back in 10 days, you know, maybe reach out to them and say, hey, I, you know, just wanted to see if you'd had a chance to listen to this. Be nice. Yeah, you know, right. Be thankful when, when somebody does get back to you or when they do listen to it. You know, be, be you know, thank, thank them and, and, you know, let them know that, you know, you really appreciate them doing that. Um, you know, mm. one of the things that really, really just I can't ever understand is when somebody approaches me, like, for example, if they want to hire us or, or, or get you know more information about our services, you know, they might write to me on a Friday at 4.49 p.m. <laughs> and then by the time I look at my mailbox or in my inbox on Monday, I've gotten like a string of emails from them by Monday morning. They're like, you know, fine. If you don't want to work with me, then just you know say so. And uh, I've you know, got like, those too. What yeah. <laughs> you know what happened over the weekend yeah. that led you to this? You know, I think yeah, everybody, everybody in in the music <laughs> industry is, uh, you know, I've I've been doing this for a long time. I know that a lot of people are very overwhelmed and stressed out and doing what they can on a day to day basis. And the pandemic has only made that more evident that like True. we need to treat each other better and be more patient with each other and, you know, give people space if they need, you know, some time to review a record or do that. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that that's so become true. more important for me. Um, and something that I, I kind of want, I, I feel like I, I should expect that from people who are approaching me and, and wanting to talk about radio promotion too. I, I want to, I, I would like that respect of you know give give me some time give me some space we I get a lot of, get a lot of submissions you know yeah and, oh uh, for sure I'm not going to be able to listen to all of them at once and you have to treat the radio stations the same way they they are overwhelmed I, I got one an email yesterday from a station um, I won't name who it is but he basically said you know like I've gotten a hundred emails a hundred new songs today oh man um, that's sad. And I said, okay, well, uh, let me know what you think of mine. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> uh, but, you know, oh, I mean, I, you know, I let him know, like, of course I understand and like, yeah, take your time. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, you know, this um, This just uh, led me to another question because we talk a lot about lead time on this show. And and, and when do you need, um, if someone's working with you or someone's uh, pitching to the stations, when do the stations need a record by? And when do you need, to to have a, a record before it comes out or before the single's out. How much how much lead time do you need? So the the lead time for radio is can be pretty short. Okay. Um because we can we can turn things around pretty quickly. I prefer not to though. So like for example, if you if you were to come to me and say, hey, my record's coming out on um, you know, on the what is it, the nineteenth. I could say, okay, well, we can we can start a radio campaign for you right now, um, but you're not going to have the benefit of us talking about it for the the two or three or four months leading up to the release date, um, and wrapping our heads around the music, kind of understanding yeah. how we're going to talk about it to stations, 
that's a, that's an important thing is like us spending time with the music and then being able to talk about it with stations, ma- being able to make reference points saying like, Oh, if you like this artist, you might like this one. Um, you know, so you can, we can do things on a pretty short time crunch, especially now that we're doing things digitally. Uh, but I generally like to have at least one month of prep time. Okay. Um, okay. That's good to know. And, and in most cases I like to, be in on the ground floor when it comes to like i mentioned before that that idea of like the timeline when it when it's being put together by the publicist and the label management whatever 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 the case may be when that timeline is being put together and before the album is announced before the first single has come out that's ideally when we would like to be involved in the conversation so i can on that day that the album is announced and the first single drops, I can also share it on social media. I can send it out to radio stations that week digitally. You know, like I can make that kind of stuff happen from the outset. Yeah. Especially if you're a new artist, if you're a brand new artist who's never done radio before, you know, take advantage of like the full timeline and having us really, you know, hyping up a record for three, <laughs> four months leading up to your release date. You know. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good point. This is, I think this has been really valuable. It's been very valuable for me. And and I think our listeners are going to pull a lot from this. It's, it's funny. It's a, it's a very, um, traditional format. It's an, it's an older, uh, part of the music industry, but it's still pretty mysterious. I think for a lot of us, um, (laughs) <laughs> uh, at least it is for me, uh, the whole idea of college radio. So, so thank you so much for doing this and thank you for pulling back the curtain on a lot of this. You're welcome. Yeah. I, uh, I really, um, you know, love being involved in radio and it's, um, yeah, I think part of what you're saying is, is why too, it's, it is something that just feels really at the end of the day, it's very one-to-one and personal. And, hmm. uh, it's something we talk about a lot where, a Spotify playlist is is helpful, and I, I use Spotify, and I, I discover new music through it. But having a DJ that you trust, whose music taste you trust, um, presenting the songs that they really like, that they just discovered, uh, goes a long way. And I oh, think, sure, you know, has a you know that that human. It's like you know the human element of what's missing from that Spotify playlist. Um, Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. I have, um, every time we talk about college radio, I, for some reason I reminded of like the one saved by the bell episode where there was a radio station (laughs) in their high school, which I don't know if that's a thing like high school radio, but, um, you know, and they like dusted off the microphones and the turntables or something. And it was only in one episode, but for some reason I just, it's funny to me how, and I know our our university radio station here in town is in the basement and it's kind of relegated to the back. Um, but I do have a, per- perhaps because of that Saved by the Bell episode, I have a, a warm spot <laughs> in my heart for radio. Yeah, I was, there's a, on that same note, there's Beverly Hills 90210. Their high school had the station. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> and... I was nerding out. I did a rewatch of Beverly Hills 90210 a few years ago, and there was a KXLU sticker, which is like the college, one of the better college radio stations in, in Southern California. Uh, and there was a KXLU sticker in the, the studio of the, the high school station. Oh, nice. On the, on the show. Oh, and nice. I was like, that's a nice touch. Yeah. That's a nice touch. That yeah. They did. 
Thanks so much to Shill for being on the program and thank you all for listening. And again, I just want to thank you for being a part of this community, for telling your friends about the show, for subscribing and for leaving reviews and for emailing and for everything, being a part of the community. It is so much fun. Over 100,000 downloads of this show, celebrating our third year. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's it's so much fun, and there's so many more great episodes coming up. The next episode um, in the interview series is another Industry Insider episode that I know you're going to benefit from. So make sure you check out Tiger Bomb Promo. Um, follow uh, Shill on Twitter uh, to get some really great insights into the college radio world. And I, I hope that you found this helpful. Visit our website, otherrecordlabels.com, where you can reach out to me and you can download some of our free resources. Thanks for listening. <laughs>